Our scripture reading today is in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. You can find that on page 866 in a Bible under the chairs in front of you. Prepare to read the Word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. We have an extra reading from the opening chapter of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. You can find this on page one. In the beginning was the word. In, in the beginning. Let's go back to, to page one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Paul. Morning, everybody. Hey, welcome to church. My name is Tim, if we've never met before, and I am one of the pastors here at Faith Community. Why don't you turn back to uh, the Gospel of John, page 800, and was it 886? We'll jump in there in just a second. Before we do that, though, I just want a, a quick word of explanation. I've asked uh, the scripture readers when they come up to introduce themselves. This is something kind of new, but introduce themselves. And I've also asked them to share with you uh, where they serve or what part of the body that they're uh, at here at Faith Community Church. I did that because I really like you guys. I think some of the things you're a part of and the ways that you serve and the gifts that God has given you are incredible. And I feel like I get to see a lot of that, but you may not even be aware that something called Mercy Works even exists and things like that. So I'm just grateful uh, when our scripture readers come up, they're just going to share with you and this is what I do. And you'll say, oh, I know, I've heard about that. I'd like to be a part of that too. Okay, does that make sense? Everybody got it? Yeah. All right, thank you very much. All right, so as we're preparing for Christmas this year, 
we're reflecting on the opening verses of the Gospel of John together. And I mentioned last week, if you are uh, here and you are just trying to figure out who Jesus is, or maybe you have a loved one uh, that's just trying to sort things out, the Gospel of John is often the first place that I invite people to go. I've found over the years that uh, when people are asking me spiritual questions or trying to sort things out, my thoughts and my answers are helpful to a point, but every one of us sooner or later has to begin dealing with Jesus personally. And I've seen people do that in the Gospel of John over and over again. So I shared that last week and one of our volunteers sent me this note on Monday and I asked if I could share just part of it with you this morning. He says this, he says, I hope you don't mind me sending you this, but your sermon yesterday brought me back to my own story of salvation. I was an oil field worker in the early 80s. I never grew up in church or around Christians, and the people that I worked with and lived with were hard people with no interest in spiritual things. But there came a time when I found myself reaching out for something, but I didn't know what it is, what it was. It was like an itch that I couldn't scratch. One day after a particularly difficult stretch, I decided to open the Bible for the first time in my life. I prayed before I opened it that if God were real, he would prove it to me. I know, how cliche. I opened up the Bible to John. I didn't pick John, it's just where I opened the Bible to. I don't remember where I started reading, but before long I went back to the beginning of John and read from there because I was so in awe. By the time I finished the book of John, I had given my life to Christ. So I just share that to say if, if you or someone you love is after that something, I would point you to the Gospel of John. And I've shared with you last week what I do. Uh, I just say, hey, these are great questions that you're asking. If you're really serious about finding an answer, here's the deal I'd make with you. Read three chapters a week. Write down all your questions as you're reading. They can be about John. They can be about life. They can be about anything that you want. We'll get together. I'll buy the coffee. I'm not going to try to sell you anything, but I am trying to introduce you to someone. And I have seen people meet Jesus in the Gospel of John over and over and over again, okay? If I could add to that just a quick plug, this Tuesday at 7 p.m. in the refuge room, Pastor Tim Porter is leading a share, Sharing Jesus seminar. I went to the very first one of these that he did a few years ago. I can still tell you the little nugget that I walked away from that seminar with. And I just encourage you to go. Okay, we, just, we need to keep this in front, of our, uh, in front of each other to keep our vision and our passion for sharing Jesus alive uh, uh, together. And I just want you to know my prayer for many, many weeks has been that God would make us bold to share his word while he stretches out his hand to heal and that he'd do something here he's never done before, okay? Amen, thank you. She and I are in it together, okay? <laughs> so I, I invite you 7 p.m. here at Tuesday just, just to keep the fires burning for sharing Jesus, okay? All right, let's go to John. Last week we saw in the very first section which Paul read again for us that John begins by taking us way, way back to the very beginning, in the beginning, uh, John begins. And that, that, that goes back to the very first sentence of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. And what John is saying is, if you want to understand what has happened in Jesus, you need to be asking not just who was Jesus, but who was Jesus before 
He was Jesus, if that makes any sense. If you want to understand what's happened, you've got to be asking who was he before he was revealed, before he'd been given the name of Jesus. Uh, before he was enfleshed, that's what incarnation means. Before he was enfleshed, who was the Son of God? And what does that mean? What can we learn from that? Well, this week, last week, we, we talked about how Jesus is the Word that proceeds eternally from the Father and reveals God to the world. This week, we're going to be considering another title that John assigns to him, and that is that he is the true light. That's in verse 9. The true light, he says, that gives light to every man had, has come into the world. Just remember briefly as we begin talking about light that John is writing this to people who knew their Old Testaments, okay? So John makes all kinds of passing references to Old Testament stories. He never has to bother to explain them. So these people grew up in the church or in the synagogue, uh, but he's trying to, con but they're, they're culturally Greek people. So whatever their parents or grandparents were, the people John is writing to think like their Greek neighbors. And so John is trying to connect some of these words and ideas from the way Greek people think to Jesus. And he's trying to kind of pull them through into the gospel to say, look, the things that you're really after for ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus. And light is just a phenomenal bridge between those two worlds, between the gospel story and basically every other story in the world. Light uh, is a universal symbol. It wouldn't matter if you're talking with a Buddhist monk, a Jewish rabbi, or a secular philosopher. Light, in almost any context, is going to mean things like truth, goodness, life, blessing, enlightenment, holiness, and so on. That Jesus is the Word means that he reveals the thoughts and the, the intentions and the heart of God to the world. He's also the true light in the sense that when the word strikes your heart, it's like light hitting your eyes. So the, the light helps us to see how the word makes God known to us. If you've ever had your parents throw open the shades in your room on a Saturday morning when you're trying to sleep in, you know the impact that light has on the senses. Light strikes the eyes, suddenly, you know, you're stirred awake. Well, that's exactly how the Gospel of John talks about the light. The light is, is what happens when the word strikes your heart, faith comes to life, and suddenly you can see. You can see Jesus clearly. Here's, here's the way that another author in Scripture says the same thing. This is from 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see the relationship there? The word hits your heart just the way that light hits your eyes. Faith comes to life and you can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So here's how he begins. Let's just read these first four verses again. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. You can see how rooted John is in the story of Genesis here. And here's another thing that we learn about the, the eternal word. That is that he has life in himself. So that makes him different than you and I. We get our life from the food that we eat and the air that we breathe and from our parents and elsewhere. Life comes to us from outside. The word is life or he has life in himself and we'll get, we're going to talk about that next week so I won't beat that to death. But with regard to light, it says that life that pre-existent spiritual fullness of life is the light of men. What on earth does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Last week, in teaching about the word, we said, okay, the, you know, the Greeks and the majority of people today recognize the universe is just far too finely tuned to be here by accident. It can't have made itself, the math just doesn't add up. And so the Greeks coined this term, the logos, or the word, to, to try to define that first principle behind the universe. Well, here we can add, beyond the fine-tuning of the universe, just the very fact of your life is yet another evidence that there's a creator God. This, this life, this sense of consciousness and this almost universal longing in humanity for something more is a part of how God has revealed himself to the world. It is no accident that you sit there staring at stars asking, what is this all about? Your dog doesn't do that, okay? Maybe you think he is? He is not. Okay? Your cat doesn't think this way. There's no chicken in the universe that's ever stared at the stars this way. There's something in you that just draws you up and out of yourself. And John is saying that life, uh, that spark within you, is part of the light. It's part of God's revelation to you. Remember that story I shared just right at the beginning, the email. He said, quote, I found myself reaching out for something, but I didn't know what it was. It was like an itch I couldn't scratch. Maybe that's you today. If you find yourself reaching out for something and you can't even give it a name yet, I encourage you not to ignore that. God is seeking you. That desire is part of the light. Then John introduces us, in, in verse five, introduces us to this kind of complex relationship between light and the darkness. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay, remember we're going all the way back to, if you want to understand this, we've got to go all the way back to Genesis and we've got to ask ourselves, well, what is the darkness according to Genesis? So let's take a look at Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We're going to learn a, a little Hebrew this morning, okay? So I hope you're awake. Is your neighbor awake? Are you awake? Okay, good. That phrase, without form and void, is a Hebrew phrase. It's, I'm really bad at Hebrew, okay? So let's just roll with me, okay? It's tohu wavohu. You, yeah, thank you, Porter. Thank you. Tohu, it, it rhymes in Hebrew. Tohu wavohu. Tohu uh, is a pretty common word in the Hebrew scriptures, and it just means it's a situation where there's just no purpose. There's no worth. Things are not holding together in any meaningful way. In the Old Testament, it's used to describe the desert or wastelands. It, it describes a situation where there's just chaos. Vohu uh, is only used two other times, okay? And in both cases, it's paired with tohu. So it's a, the, vohu always comes with tohu. By the way, I, I have to share this really quick. So someone approached me between services, a friend of mine, and she uh, did not grow up in the United States. Her, her first language, I think, is French. And she said, when I was growing up, if, if my parents walked into my room and it was just a disaster, they would say, this is tohu vavohu. It was just like a saying in their context. I, I had never heard of She said, I didn't know it was Hebrew. I just thought my, it was just a thing that we said. Anyway, there you go. So there, there are only two other times in Scripture that this phrase is used. And they're, they're so interesting that they're actually worth taking time to look at today. I'm going to share them with you now. The, the, one of them is Isaiah chapter 34. Okay? Uh, this will be on the screens because I want you to be able to see it. But listen to the language of judgment being used in Isaiah 34. It says, For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste and none shall pass through it forever and ever. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch the line of confusion, tohu, over it, and the plumb line of emptiness, bohu. That's so interesting, because it just describes this like hellish landscape. I mean, some of this language, burning pitch and sulfur and an unquenchable fire that goes on forever and ever, this is the language Jesus uses to describe hell itself. It's a situation of just total confusion and emptiness, total chaos and meaninglessness. Here's the only other time. This is from Jeremiah chapter 4, and I listen to how much this sounds like Genesis, okay? Jeremiah 4 says, I looked on the earth and behold... It was tohu vavohu. I looked to the heavens and they had no light. I looked on the mountains and behold they were quaking and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked and behold there was no man and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked and behold the fruitful land was a desert and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. And the chapter actually goes on and on like that. We could keep going but this is just to give you an idea when Genesis talks about darkness, when Jesus talks about darkness, uh, here's a flavor. It's just chaos. 
It's just utter confusion, nothing meaningful in any way. If we were to go back to Genesis then, the next sentence adds to that sense of, of chaos. It says, and darkness was over the face of the deep. What, well, it's talking about the sea. It's talking about an abysmal, storm-tossed sea in the pitch black of night. It's a powerful Has anyone ever been caught in a boat in the dark in a storm? Have, has that happened? Yeah, it's awful. It is awful. You feel completely out of control. And that's kind of the idea uh, here. These, these waters in Genesis chapter 1 are also closely tied to God's judgment throughout the story of Scripture. So in Genesis chapter 7, in the story of Noah, it says in, in Genesis 7:11 that all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. That's exactly the same word. The judgment of God in the story of Noah is to unleash the chaos waters across the face of the earth and just destroy everything. In the book of Daniel, Daniel has this vision where four beasts that represent all these empires of the world, they climb up out of a churning sea and wreak havoc across the face of the earth. So in the, in the closing verse, closing chapters, excuse me, of Revelation, it's one of the things it says is, and the sea was no more. Well, what? Does God not like sunsets on the beach? Does he not enjoy boating? Like, what's, it's not that at all. God has stretched this theme from literally from the beginning to the very end to say a day is coming when there will be no more chaos, no more confusion, no more meaninglessness. There's, the, there's kind of this, um, I mean, right out of the gate almost, this choice laid before humanity to say, if you remain in the darkness, you're going you're to be taken in by this descent into meaninglessness and greater and greater chaos. Or you can come into the light and allow God to order your world and allow his word to speak into the chaos in your life. So these are the kinds of images. When, when John says, the light shines in the darkness, these are the kinds of images that we're to have in our minds. We should not think of the darkness like an empty basement. You know, you, there's a, you, you flip on the light and the darkness just disperses because it's not really, in, it's not a thing, it's not anything. When scripture talks about darkness, it's full. It's, it's full of chaos and danger, it's powerful, it's out of control, and it's totally meaningless. The lights, it's, he says in, in John 4, the light shines in the darkness, and it doesn't say the darkness dissipates because it's nothing. He says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. About half of your translations will say, the darkness has not understood it. And it can be translated either way. They're, they're both good translations. It just, the idea is that you throw on the light and the darkness responds by saying, who are you? 
I don't like it. Let's get him. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a, in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, one of the differences between Genesis and John would be, in Genesis chapter 1, I don't see a lot of indication that there's anything evil or malevolent or personal in the darkness. It's just, it just is what it is. It's just chaos. And God speaks, and there's no battle, okay? There's no, the darkness doesn't put up any kind of fight. God speaks, and everything moves into place. By the time you get to the Gospel of John, every time Jesus talks about the darkness, it is full of personal wickedness and evil. The darkness is a thing that when you turn the light on, it says, who are you? And let's get it. Let's get him. But the darkness, he says, has not overcome it. And one of the things that I love about Genesis is that in these opening verses that describe this chaotic, out-of-control, meaningless nothingness, it says what? And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. I just think that's awesome. It's hovering. If your life has ever felt out of control, if you have just ever felt like chaos and meaninglessness reign in your life, there's the Spirit of God just waiting, just waiting. And he speaks, and there's light. I think that's awesome. There's a story in the Gospels, you know, where, where Jesus and his disciples are out in the middle of the sea on, in a boat, and this storm just comes out of nowhere. And the disciples are losing their minds, and they cry out to Jesus, and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing here? And Jesus is doing what? He's sleeping. You might say hovering. Okay, that's a stretch. It's a big time stretch, but he's sleeping. And he wakes up, and what does he do? Shh. Immediate. And the disciples respond by saying, who is this? who speaks to the wind and the sea, and they obey. Here we have decades of reflection here, and John saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he's the light. When he says that the Word was the light, he's saying at least a couple of things at once. First of all, he is saying that Jesus is the light that shone forth at creation and set that chaos in order. I mean, for as long as people have been reading Genesis, thousands and thousands and thousands of years, people have noticed God creates light on day one, but we don't get the sun, moon, and stars until day four. Clearly, this is not a physics lesson. Okay? And John comes along and says, that word that God spoke that is the sun. He's the light that burst out over the chaos and brought everything into order. And second, he's saying, once again then, God is, has spoken. Once again, God has spoken into our 
darkness and chaos. So whatever the, whatever the darkness was in Genesis, whether it was malevolent or not, in, in our context it is. And it is a chaos of our own filling. We have made it a terror to ourselves. A thousand generations of billions of bad decisions piling up on one another. This is a darkness of our making. And John is saying, God has spoken again. And this time over our darkness. Jesus is the light that God has spoken into our world and set everything in order. And he creates, just like light, he creates a crisis and he comes with an invitation. The crisis is just like when your parents would throw open your shades in the morning and you would cry out, you know, what would, and what would you do? You cover your head and tuck in and say, go away, <laughs> I'm trying to sleep here. Well, Jesus says this is exactly what we do when we're encountered by his light. This is from John chapter 3, verse 19, and we actually read this during our worship time. Jesus says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Light shines in the darkness and just like having light hit your eyes, you're not free to just do nothing. You will respond in one way or the other and some are drawn to the light to say, oh my goodness, I'm awake. For the first time in my life I can really see and some of us will yell, go away, I'm, I'm asleep here. And so there's also in this image of the light an invitation. John chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus speaking says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's an invitation to you. Will you walk in the light? Will you come into the light? Will you trust the light? We see that choice in verses 9, 10, and 11. He says, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The one thing we don't get to do with the light is ignore it or pretend that it's not there. But it, it creates a crisis and it forces the issue. I'll invite the worship team to come up as we close here this morning. One, one more thing about the light. Just, just as the word proceeds from God from all of eternity and reveals the secret thoughts and intentions in the heart of God, so also the light, light just by its nature cannot help but fill its space. Okay, I don't know how often you've, has anyone, you've been in a completely dark context, you know, you go on a cave tour or something and they always throw the lights on you at some point. Did you know what I'm talking about? 
and you literally can't see your hand in front of your face. You get in a context like that and someone lights a candle a half mile away, it will find you. That light will find its way to you. And this is yet another awesome picture of our searching and seeking God. There's a, um, a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. He tells three parables, actually, and we treat them as three different parables, which is totally fine, okay? But, but Jesus actually calls them one parable. The first is a story about a shepherd who loses his sheep, and so he goes out to find it. The second is the story of a woman who loses a coin and so she lights a lamp and she flips her house upside down trying to find this one coin. The third is the story of a father who's lost a son and he stays home and he's waiting. There's a, there's a great picture of what is happening in God. The, the son is the shepherd, the light who goes out into the world and is seeking you. The spirit is the light, it's the lamp that, that the woman lights and flips her house. He's looking for you, he's searching for you, and the father is waiting at home for you. Will you come? Will you come? I just want to invite you as we close today. I, I can remember the ways that the light found me when my life was in chaos. Through my parents, through the prayers of my grandmother, through two high school friends whose lives were just so attractive to me, I remember how the light began to break into my heart. I want to invite you this morning, if, you, if that's you, just take a minute right now to remember and to give thanks. And for those here this morning who are hearing this and you're saying, man, my life is out of control, it's chaos, I would invite you to just pray. Jesus, you can pray like our friend in the story. <laughs> God, if you're real, would you shine your light into my heart? Would you help me to see? Let's just do that right now. I'll give you two minutes. Father in heaven, thank you for your word that goes out and reveals you to us. Thank you for the light that moves into every corner of creation, searching and seeking. We ask for grace today to be drawn to that light and not to hide from it. God, would you graciously shine the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus into every heart this morning. Help us to see, break out over the chaos and the darkness of our lives and give us life. Father, we pray for our city, for our loved ones, for each other, that you would do this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Let's stand and sing.